We're going to begin a new sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And much as with our recent sermon series on the book of Philippians, we're going to start not with the book we're studying, but with a different book and in a different place. Uh, we're going to look at a couple sermons first outside of the book of Ecclesiastes to lay some groundwork for us to set a foundation that we will build on upon there. Now the book of Ecclesiastes is a book that, that you might not have studied all that much. Many people who have been Christians their whole lives perhaps have, have not really spent a lot of time in this Old Testament book tucked away in a section of the Old Testament known as the Wisdom literature. Now, different people believe different things about Ecclesiastes. Uh, the way I want to take a look at it is, is from the view that is the predominant view, I think, uh, and that is that, that Solomon is the author. And so today we're, we're going to take a look at a passage dealing with Solomon and dealing with wisdom. Before we do that, though, let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord might bless our time in his word. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed ask that, that now as we turn to your word, that you would, you would guide our hearts and our minds, help us to, to have eyes to see your truth. We pray that this indeed would be uh, a good start to the sermon series, that you would help us to understand what wisdom is, and more importantly, what your wisdom is for us. Speak to us now as we turn our hearts and our minds and our attention to your word, for we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hear now as I read from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. This is the inspired word of God. Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in the place of David, my father, Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this and 
have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word, which inspired by God is our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If you could have anything that you wanted, what would you choose? I remember thinking about this question when I was a young child. I think I might have mentioned this before, but I, I thought that it would be great to have unlimited ice cream. That, that would be good. If I could have chosen anything in the world, I think that's what I would have chosen, unlimited ice cream. Nowadays, I'm far more mature, far wiser, and so I'd say something like perpetual season tickets for Major League Baseball. <laughs> we tend to think of these things like, what would be really fun? What would be fun for me? Very self-directed when we're presented with questions like that. Perhaps that wouldn't really be what i choo choose, but that's, that's kind of our inclination, isn't it? To look toward what would I enjoy? What would make my life easier? My life better? Just recently, our family had the great opportunity to go see uh, the Broadway musical Aladdin down in Detroit. And, and that's kind of the principle behind it, right? Aladdin finds the lamp with the genie in it, right? And he rubs the lamp and the genie comes out and he's able to give him three wishes. And I fear that sometimes we think of God in these terms. We think of God as a genie, right? That's what prayer is. We rub the lamp and make our wish. And God is constrained by the laws of the lamp. He has to give us what we want. Well, that's, that's not how God works. That's not how he promises to work. It's not how he wants us to think he works. He is constrained not by the laws of the lamp, but rather by his character and by his promises and by his covenant nature with his people. This is how God chooses to work. And so we see in verse 3 that Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father. He see that David, who was the great king of Israel, not perfect by any means, but a man after God's own heart. And we see a reference to David here. And we're to remember that this is speaking about the promises 
that were made to David, the covenant promises that, that specifically he would have a son who would sit upon his throne. One day a son who would sit on his throne and rule and reign forever. The covenant promises for the covenant king of the covenant people of God. You must understand that that is what this passage is about. And so we see that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. The high places were open air areas on top of hills, usually hence high places. There were places the Canaanites had used for worshiping their deities so that, so that they would worship these false gods. And they had been kind of taken over and converted into places of worship for the Lord. And that sounds like a good idea to us at first thought. You know, taking these things that have been used for these bad pur purposes, we will redeem these and we'll make them uh, places of worship for, for God, the Lord, Yahweh. Except for that is not what God had asked or even what God had demanded. In Deuteronomy 12, he says, You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their God on high mountains and on hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their altars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their God and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So we see that though it might seem wise to us to worship God in that way, God says no. That is not how I should be worshipped. That is not how I will be worshipped. And yet, we see that Solomon made sacrifices at the high places. And specifically in verse 4, we see he went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. It was the great high place. It was about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. And Second Chronicles 1 tells us that the, the whole royal cabinet, as it were, went out with him to make these sacrifices. Verse 4 tells us that he used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And maybe he literally offered a thousand, you know, 998, 999, 1,000. Okay, we're done now. Or, or perhaps it's just meant in an idiomatic way to represent an awful lot of sacrifices. You know, we do the same thing, don't we? We say, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. We don't really mean a thousand. We just mean I've said it a lot of times. We don't know which way it's intended to be understood, but we know this, that Solomon had done this a lot, not just a few times. But while at Gibeon this time, we see the grace of God. For Solomon is there doing what God has expressly said his people are not to do. And God graciously comes to him. He appears to him in a dream by night. And God says, ask what I shall give to you. Solomon's done nothing to earn this. He's done nothing to deserve this. In fact, he's done things that he ought not to have done. And yet God comes graciously offering to give him whatever he would like and he does not choose ice cream and he does not choose baseball tickets no Solomon makes a choice that is very wise he follows some principles that I think we'd all do well to follow namely 
He seeks God humbly. He waits on God expectantly. And he responds to God faithfully. First of all, he seeks God humbly. You see it in verses 6 and following. Solomon says, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Again, remember that David is not just any father. He is the one who was the great king of Israel. And the great and steadfast love shown to him was God's covenant love for his covenant people. God didn't just love David that his love might terminate on David, but rather that he might be a blessing to the people of God and that he might be at work through him. He walked before you in faithfulness, Solomon continues, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and then given him a son to sit on his throne this day. He very rightly sees his own existence as king of the people of God as a proof of God's faithfulness, of his covenant love and evidence of that covenant love. Here he sees himself as a picture of God's faithfulness to David. He doesn't think, you know, I, I'm king because I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. No. He says, I'm king because God promised my father that he would have a son and that son would sit upon this throne and be king. He humbly sees the hand of God at work in his ascension to the throne. And now, O Lord my God, he says in verse 7, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. You see his humility pretty clear here, don't you? He says, you made me king, not I figured out how to become king on my own. When he refers to himself, he refers to himself not as the mighty king, but as your servant. King over your people, your servant. I am but a little child, he says. He's probably about 20 years old at the time, and yet he refers to himself as a little child who does not know how to come out or, or how to uh, go out or come in. And in verse 8, he says, your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. They're not my people. A king, you would think, would have every right to think of the people as his people. And yet Solomon humbly sees them as God's people. They are a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude, he says in verse 8. And here he evokes God's promise to Abraham, doesn't he? Remember back in Genesis 13, what was the promise that, that God made to Abram? He said, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if, no, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And here he, he says, the people of God, the very offspring of Abram, are such that they can no longer be counted. Remember, it began with just Abram, with his family, his household. He made that promise, that, that promise that must have been unbelievable to Abram at that time. That your offspring will be 
as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, completely uncountable, so large that will the number be. And now that promise has been fulfilled, and Solomon makes reference to that here. He makes reference to the fact that the covenant promises of God have been proven time and again to be true and faithful. And that covenant nature of the relationship he has with the people of God is a covenant nature that we share in. We, as the people of God, have the blessings of that covenant relationship. Even now, today, we should remember his faithfulness always. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow returning with thee. He is faithful to the promises he makes, and he always will be. And that is the foundation of our faith. And so in verse 9, we see Solomon says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For, for who is able to govern this, your great people? This idea of understanding, he asks for, is, is the, the Hebrew word shema. It's, it's the same word that, that means to hear. Right in the famous passage in Deuteronomy, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's the same word. And so, so we see that, that Solomon says, give me the ability to, to hear, to listen, to, to truly hear, to understand, to have wisdom. There's humility in this request on all fronts. As we pointed out, there, there's humility in the language, right? Just the idea that, that he says that he's but a little child when in reality he's 20 years old. I don't know. Uh, you, you think about young men that are, that are 20 years old, and in that day, 20 years old was older than it is today. But, but you know, most 20-year-olds uh, you know, aren't necessarily of those who like to think of themselves as being younger than they are, right? I, me, personally, I, I, you know, I like to think of myself as still being 20 years old, but, but I'm not. But when you're that age, you, you don't tend to think of yourself as, as being just a little boy, right? I'm an adult now. You can't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm coming of age. Solomon says, I'm just a little child. The idea is, is he is fully dependent upon God, like a little child. And that's the way we all should be. Right? Jesus says as much. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We cannot go into the kingdom of God thinking that we have it all figured out, that we are able to accomplish it, that we can do it. No, it's a, it's a matter of full dependence upon him, trusting in him, depending upon him, counting on him, and having him provide it for us. Further, the, the nature of the request, the nature of the request, we see humility in that. He could have asked for wealth, or he could have asked for lands, he could have asked for power, or for military victory, or for health, or for many years and a long life. But no, he asks for this understanding, this understanding mind. The, the idea is that he might judge wisely, that he might do rightly before God and, and in the lives of the people that he is called to rule over and there's humility shown in the the heart behind his request right he he could have thought of himself already as being wise after all his father had 
told him he was just a chapter before this, right? We haven't worked our way through this whole book, but if we had, we'd have seen just a chapter ago in chapter 2. David tells him that when he's ruling, he is to act according to your wisdom. And later on in that same chapter in verse 9 says, you are a wise man. Solomon could have said, no, dad told me. I'm already there. I've already arrived. I, I have wisdom. I don't need any extra. But no, he comes humbly. Further, there's humility in, in that it is not ultimately focused on himself. Yes, he does want to have humility himself, but the idea is not so much that he could be, that he could, or that he wants to have wisdom for himself, but the idea is not so that he could have wisdom, just so we could remember him for all of history as being the wisest king that ever was, right? He, he's not looking to, to go into the wisdom hall of fame here. He wants to have wisdom so that he could rule rightly, so that he could, he could show justice and he could, he could deal rightly with the people over which he had been placed. He wanted to see their needs as they were and be able to provide for those needs as they existed. And when we seek the blessings of God, we should do so in the same manner. We should seek to be blessed by God. But when we seek to be blessed by God, it is not so that we can have what we want, but rather that we might be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Lord, bless me that I might be a blessing to others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself, Paul tells us in Philippians. Now, we don't have the same sphere of influence that a king might have had, but we have a sphere of influence. We have people whose lives we touch. We have people whose lives we could touch if only we made the effort. And so let us pray that the Lord might bless us in ways that we might be a blessing to those people. Even if it is just that we might pray for them, that, that we might pray for those we know and love that are facing particular trials in their life, that we might Pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are facing persecution. That we might perhaps just pray for the kingdom of God that it might be made more manifest here in Genesee County and throughout the world. For it pleases the Lord when we humbly seek him and his will and his provision. And that's why he bids us to pray. That's why we see in verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. We too can please the Lord when we act in a similar manner, loving others more than we love ourselves. You know, back in the 1980s, Whitney Houston famously sang, learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all, and it was a beautiful song that was theologically corrupt. Learning to love yourself is not the greatest love of all. No. The first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there is another like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so let us have this kind of mindset, this kind of mindset which will bring pleasure to God and, and, and we can bring pleasure to God simply through prayer. The very fact that we pray. I, I heard it said by another pastor just yesterday. He made the point 
that prayer is not just a means to an end. Prayer is an end in and of itself. Right? Because by praying, we, we, we realize that we are in a relationship with God. We, we realize that we need to strengthen that relationship with him. We realize that we are, are bound together. And it pleases God that we come to him. Right? I, I, I mean, I, many of you have, have children who, who perhaps live in a different place. Right? And, and when your children call you on the phone, does it not bring pleasure to your heart to hear their voice, to know that they've thought of you and that they want to speak with you and they want to relate to you, they want to, to further that relationship, that they want the bonds of that relationship to be strengthened. And so it is that it pleases God when we pray. Seek God humbly. The other two points we'll make a little bit more quickly now. Secondly, wait on God expectantly. Now, there's a danger here when we say, wait on God expectantly. That doesn't mean that I'm saying, okay, be really humble and don't think about yourself at all. Because when you do that, then God will give you everything you want. Right? Because if that's your mindset, then, then you're not really being humble. You're not really neglecting yourself. You're just using that as kind of a, a facade that is a technique to get what you really, really want. But no, we are to seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness. When he says seek first, it's not just a chronological sense, right? Seek his kingdom first, and then go about doing all the stuff you want. No, it's seek it first as of first importance, of primary importance. It is the thing that is more important to you than anything else. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's only if we are seeking God first and most and most deeply that we can see true joy and then wait on God expectantly. You see, because when we do that, we, we should expect to see amazing things. When our will is brought into alignment with God's will, not the other way around, not us grabbing his arm, pinning it behind his back and making him do what we want him to do. No, but rather our own hearts are brought into alignment with his we'll find that he is pleased with us and we are pleased with him. And in Solomon's case in specific, here's how it played out. Verse 11, God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise discerning mind. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. Now God is able to give abundantly. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 3. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's what he did here with Solomon. Because not only is he able to do this, but he actually desires to. He desires to work mightily too often we think of God as as begrudgingly give out gifts right we come to him praying and he's like oh I guess so I'll give you something this time just to get you off my back right but that's not how God works right again I, I, I just ask you parents do you not love to give gifts to your children to see joy on their faces when they receive them 
Does that not warm your hearts? Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Remember, we are the children of God if we are in Christ Jesus. It is a blessed position. He predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. We did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If you will walk in my ways, God says to Solomon, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then we need to realize again, this is not a promise for everyone, right? It's so easy for us to say, well, you know, if we just walk faithfully with God, we'll have a long life. But see, we know that not to be true because we know very faithful people who have died very prematurely from our perspective. We need to be careful not to take the promises of God out of context. This is a promise for Solomon specifically. But that said, do not see that as a discouragement from faithfulness. Be motivated to faithfulness, not for what you have an opportunity to get. Be motivated by what you have already received. For Christ Jesus has died for your sins. He has risen from the dead. He gives you Life eternal, not just eternal in time, but eternal and abundant and full and better than it could possibly be without him. You who, who were lost in your sins and dead in your sins, separated from God, enemies with him even, have been made children of God Almighty, beloved by him, brought into the family. Though you could do nothing to save yourself, he saved you of his own free will of his own work, of his own mercy and grace. And so that brings us to our third point, respond to God faithfully. Respond to him faithfully. Solomon awoke, behold, it was a dream. Again, descriptive, not prescriptive, right? Doesn't mean every dream we have is God speaking to us. But in this case, it was. And we see how he responded. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Isn't it an amazing thing, right? At the beginning of the passage, what is Solomon doing? Solomon is, is worshiping at the high places, offering sacrifices where God has told him not to offer them. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, he comes to him and blesses him in the midst of his sin. Solomon responds then to the mercy of God by going to Jerusalem, to worshiping before the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's, God's very person rested. He offers these these burnt offerings, these peace offerings, these offerings that God had prescribed in his word for his people that they might offer them up to him. He is now acting 
faithfully worshiping God as he should. Let that be a pattern for our lives as well. We walk through life in sin, doing the things we ought not to do. Some things we think might be good ideas, even though God has told us they are not. We pursue these things and we do them. And God enters into our lives, even in the midst of our sin. And through Christ Jesus, he saves us from our sin. What a blessing, what a glorious blessing, what a mercy, what a grace. And so we are left to decide how shall we respond. Let us respond as beloved children should respond. Knowing the love that we have received, let us respond in faithfulness, knowing that we have been pardoned from our sin, that we are no longer slaves but beloved children. The words William Cooper wrote in the hymn, Love Constraining to Obedience, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. What a wonderful truth. You see, it's not enough to know what is wise. We need to walk in that wisdom, to walk in that wisdom motivated by the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus Solomon did this on occasion. There were other times that he did not. And there are other rulers and other leaders that you will have in your life that will walk with God faithfully at times. And other times they will not. And whether it is presidents or pastors or parents, Whoever it is you look to and see failing, does that not stir within you a longing? We look to others and see them fail. And when we look within our own hearts and see ourselves fail, does that not stir within you a longing for one who does not fall short, one who, who does walk in all faithfulness, always and forever. There is one who is such, one who not only knows the way of wisdom, but is the way of wisdom, is wisdom itself, even Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the personification of wisdom and the fulfillment of that deep longing that, that rages within our hearts. He is the perfect king. He is perfect wisdom. He sought out the heavenly father's direction humbly. He waited upon him expectantly. And he responded faithfully. May we be more like Jesus in response to Jesus. For it is in Christ alone that our hope is found. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we, we, we humbly bow before you today. Thankful that we even have the opportunity to do that. For we were enemies who deserved to be judged, who deserved to be, to be cast away, to be, to be condemned eternally. And yet you made us beloved children. Not only invited us into your house, but brought us in. Though we deserved it not. We thank you. And we pray that you would help us to more and more see the beauty of what Christ has done for us. That we might in turn be changed 
into being more like him. We ask it in his name. Amen.